It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Sam, in our uh, show preview email today for three strikes, wrote, quote, holding out for Real Muto trade before we record. And literally, as we were setting up our equipment, to start recording today, we got the push notification that the JT Real Muto trade had gone through. Nice work. Yeah, no. It, well done. Yeah, uh, a lot of this had been rumored throughout the day. We're recording this on Thursday this week, a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, and I'm thankful for that now because this trade would have been would have made anything we recorded yesterday obsolete. Um, but yeah, a lot of rumblings throughout the day that uh, Sixto Sanchez and Jorge Alfaro were going to be going to Miami for JT Real Muto. Real Muto was kind of the big blockbuster trade we've all been waiting for this offseason. Uh, obviously, some signings, by some I mean quite a few, uh, signings still out there on the free agent market. But this was the big trade I think we were all waiting to happen. Um, and the fact that it finally happened today is kind of good because that means we can turn one page on the offseason. would love to see everything else kind of fall into place from here. But uh, yeah, the fact that this went down today, it feels, feels good. It, it feels like a good prep for next week uh, when pitchers and catchers report. So we're going to talk about that here in a minute and uh, welcome in to this week's episode, the 195th of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. The voice on the other side is Sam Dykstra. We're talking all things minor league baseball and a lot to get to this week. Before we get to all of this, um, the news broke just a little while ago as well that uh, Hall of Famer Frank Robinson passed away. He was the first African-American manager in Major League Baseball, uh, a 500 home run club manager member very nearly a 600 home run club member he had 586 homers in his uh, illustrious major league career and um, the one thing I love about Frank Robinson is he is one of those guys in baseball history who it feels like everybody who came across him who played with him or who played under him when he was a manager or who worked with him everybody has a Frank Robinson story which I think is really cool and uh, the admiration um, for not only his career but the type of man he was what he did in the civil rights movement um, you know being the first black manager in Major League Baseball history uh, a pretty incredible career a pretty incredible life and uh, uh, obviously our thoughts with his family passed away at 83 years old Frank Robinson uh, rest in peace one of the all-time greats in Major League Baseball history yeah and, and just last week you know we we're talking about Jackie Robinson's legacy in the minors um, or, you know, previously on the show, we had, we had talked about that. And, uh, you know, Frank Robinson right up there with, you know, you talk about trailblazer in bla- in baseball. Uh, I think Jackie Robinson's name is there first. Frank Robinson's name is, is right alongside there. Um, you know, a guy who won MVP in both the AL and the NL uh, first black manager, as, as you mentioned, you know, this is black history month and, and it's a time when, you know, we, we look back on our history and see 
which African-Americans have really improved our country and taken it to um, some of the better places we've ever been. And Frank Robinson was right there in terms of our sport of baseball. Um, and like you mentioned, uh, somebody who you just bring up his name to certain baseball folk and, and you just have to pull up a chair and just listen for the next 15 minutes because people are going to go off with all sorts of fun, crazy Frank Robinson stories. So uh, great player, good manager. Um, really sad to see him go, and and I'm sure more of those stories will come out uh, here in the the days and weeks to come as we continue to to remember Frank Robinson. So with that, we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show, and we will kick it off with some baseball discussion on the field, which uh, it feels like. Well, I guess the move technically happens off the field. It'll affect a lot of what goes on on the field what my point is we're not talking about like rankings or something there's a big trade that went down a short time ago um and this from mlb.com today quote the phillies have agreed to acquire standout catcher jt real muto from the marlins for catcher jorge alfaro right-hander sisto sanchez left-hander will stewart and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in international bonus slot money sources told mlb.com on thursday the deal which is compend which is pending completion of physicals has not been confirmed by either club uh we know for a while that the marlins were really kind of asking for the moon in uh, trade discussions with teams for a long time it seemed like the Phillies were not going to part with Sanchez the right-hander in this discussion um, in this deal that obviously changed and it appears as of right now that that is where this deal is headed Um, Sanchez last year with Class A advanced Clearwater uh, went four and three with a 2.51 ERA and 46 and two-thirds innings he also missed a lot of time right elbow inflammation uh, had a sore collarbone that kept him out of the Arizona Fall League Um, but he's a, a guy who on the maybe crazy side comparison wise people have compared to pedro martinez he's not the biggest dude on the planet but a right-hander who throws gas he's been clocked uh in the mid to upper 90s pretty consistently throughout his career um and he is really the prize piece of this deal that goes to miami on the other side the phillies obviously get the best catcher in baseball um we're going to talk about this from the prospect side sanchez i think does it come as a surprise to you that the phillies got to the point where they gave him up and where does that leave your evaluation of what the phillies are at this stage in the offseason because we went into this offseason hearing all these big rumblings they've got stupid money the Phillies are going to sign everybody haven't signed anybody uh and the deal that they've made now is a trade in which they give up their top prospect well uh, I, I won't say that they haven't signed anybody they signed Andrew right not and, not quote unquote anybody right but, not you know, upper tier like they brought in Andrew not Manny McCutcheon, not Bryce which, Harper yeah which is a big signing for them but they, you right. know they did miss out on Patrick Corbin uh, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are still out there for whatever reason they haven't yet signed with the Phillies whether that's the Phillies haven't forked over enough money which given the way this offseason has gone kind of seems like that's the issue with basically all the free agents at this point uh, is that they haven't had their their requests met or is it the Phillies just didn't look enticing enough to sign there um, if it's the latter well Acquiring JT Realmuto, who last year led all of Major League Baseball or all of Major League Baseball catchers in WAR, uh, I think he was 4.6, uh, and nobody else was really close. Grandal was like second, 4.8, excuse me. Grandal was second at 3.6, so he was pretty head and shoulders above Grandal last year as baseball's best catcher. Um, you know, some people still think Buster Posey's in that conversation. I get it. Uh, we don't need to rank these in, in terms of that, but. Real Mudo, two years left before he hits free agency. Some real value there. Really going to hit his prime. And if that's going to happen, 
you do have to kind of pay through the nose. Now, you brought up what does this make us think about Sixto Sanchez? You know, what? why would the Phillies be willing to give him up? The fact that they did is kind of telling to me because you mentioned his health concerns. He had right in, elbow inflammation that held him out for a lot of 2018. Just when he's about to come back for the AFL, uh, has a collarbone issue, then they keep him out of that as well. When, you, when you're six foot tall and a pitcher – you know, and these injuries start to pick up, it, it becomes worrisome. And nobody's going to know Sixto Sanchez's health better than the Phillies. I mean, the, you know, they're the ones who are getting him all these physicals. They're the ones who have held him out because of health. If they're willing to part with him, that causes me to put the brakes a little bit on his prospect profile. Now, when he is healthy, his arsenal might be one of the best we have among pitching prospects right now. Um, you know, it, it might be up there with a Forrest Whitley or even an Alex Reyes when he is healthy. Um, you know, his fastball, as you mentioned, hits upper 90s, could hit uh, 100 at times. Uh, the curveball, the changeup are above average pitches, but what really sticks out to me is his control. Uh, it's one thing to throw upper 90s, but as we see so many times, often with relievers, if you have that gas, you sometimes don't know where the ball is going. Sixo Sanchez really knows where the ball is going. His command, his control is really special. Uh, he's only walked 4.9% of the batters he's faced in minor league baseball so far. Um, that being said, he's still yet to crack triple digits in innings pitched for a season. This kind of holds off on that a little bit. Uh, I know some Phillies fans aren't excited to trade Alfaro, and Alfaro's not a prospect anymore, so I'll kind of put him off to the side here. Um, but you're giving up somebody who might be 80% of Rayo Muto and putting on Sixto Sanchez on top of that. Um, I think there's just a lot of risk that the Phillies are giving up for getting somebody who's a surefire thing. And if they are really going to push for an NL East that the Braves showed last year, pretty open. Uh, this is a time to kind of get it right now. And the, the Mets you know, have improved and, and the Nationals are probably going to bounce back. Adding Patrick Corbin is going to be a big help there. This is a wide open NL East and the, the Phillies need to make more moves like this. If this is the first one, okay, now you need to start throwing that stupid money around that you promised. Uh, now it's really time to put up or shut up. Um, so the Phillies are a more interesting team now. The system's a little less interesting. Um, but Sanchez going to Miami, you know, he's the prospect they kind of needed. Uh, I think they wanted that in Victor, Victor Mesa as being like, okay, he's the number one prospect for us. He's kind of the guiding light that everybody can look to and say, see, we have a cornerstone of our farm system. And then he checks in, you know, low nineties of top 100 lists. If he appears at all, uh, he comes in at number 99 on MLB.com's. Uh, so bringing in Sanchez, who's number 27, uh, is somebody who they can now point to and say, here's a guy who will lead us, who you will be our, the future front of our rotation. Um, hopefully alongside Sandy Alcantara and Jorge Guzman, guys they picked up last offseason who also have serious, you know, elite velocity. Um, wouldn't that be a fun rotation to see, you know, three guys bring in right in a row in, in 2021, say, all of whom could hit 100. Uh, that's going to be really tough for opposing teams. A lot has to go right there. You know, Guzman is still in the lower minors. Alcantara has gotten some little in the majors but he's still a prospect uh 
Sanchez hasn't seen double A yet and still has those health concerns. Uh, so, you know, this is, I, I think Miami should be happy with what they got back. Uh, it's a little riskier than maybe th- what they were hoping for, but now they do have that one guy that they can point to, to their fans and say, here he is, you know, here's somebody you can all look to and get excited about for the immediate future. Um, you know, after Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz kind of saw uh, their stock a little slip a little bit last year and Lewis Brinson didn't fulfill his potential in the major leagues. I'm still, you know, bullish on Lewis Brinson long-term. Um, but seeing some of these prospects they picked up last year, not work out, they need somebody new, somebody fresh to kind of to look at. And Sixto Sanchez can be that uh, for the Miami Marlins here starting, you know, when he reports here in a couple of weeks. Um, we don't talk about things on the, the major league side so much, but I know before this deal went down, um, the Phillies were still projected um, via fan graphs somewhere around, I think, 78 wins and in fourth place in the National League East. Do you think this deal, just on a, a quick note on the Major League side, do you think this deal is enough to push them into the conversation to, to contend in that division? Not this deal alone, no. Um, it it's helps. It certainly helps. Uh, you know, I, I think they could be a good team. I think they overperformed a little bit last year. Um, adding potentially the best player at a position, never going to hurt. Uh, giving up Sanchez, who wasn't going to help in 2019, is not going to hurt. Uh, giving up Alfaro, you know, feels like it It might hurt because it, you had to tie in some prospects and some money. Um, but Real Muto is such a clear advantage over him that I, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, are they there yet to catch up to the Braves, the, the, um, the Nationals and the Mets? They still need to make that other move. And and I think if they are being this aggressive, that means they are being that aggressive as well in free agency. Uh, That'll still yet to reveal itself. But um, they still need to take other steps. This can't be it alone by any means. Jacob Tyler, by the way, in case you're wondering what the JT stood for which I know you all were Um, (laughs) strike two this week as we will move along and uh, Phillies fans fired up. Uh, They no longer have one of the names that we may have discussed in this topic, but pitchers and catchers report uh, within the next week. And uh, this is a a good topic that Sam uh, kicked off for strike two in honor of pitchers and catchers reporting. What is your favorite battery or potential battery in the minor leagues this year? Your favorite pitcher catcher combo. All right, so for me, if we're looking at guys who are actually probably going to play with each other, I mean, we could play this game all we want and, and say, like, Joey Bart and a Giants pitcher, but uh, Giants pitchers aren't that exciting. Uh, or Francis, Francisco Mejia and, you know, somebody like Luis Patino in the Padres system, but they're not going to play together for a while. Hopefully Mejia is going to be on a Major League opening day roster. Luckily, when it comes to exciting catching prospects and exciting pitchers, I, th- I don't think we have to go that far, really, to say two guys who absolutely have a chance to play with each other early and often in 2019. I think we're on the same page with this. I, are you going to say Sean Murphy and Jesus Lazardo as well? I absolutely was. So that's good. I mean, agreement <laughs> is good. You know, heck with all these other debate shows in which everybody's yelling at each other. The fact that we can come to an agreement is pretty good. Um, I'm with you. So do you have any hot takes you want to say about this or do you want me to just go off? I will say one thing. I'm not sure Jesus Luzardo spends time in the minor leagues this year. That will be my hottest of hot takes. But if he doesn't, 
you know who else might get a chance to uh, to throw a little bit to Sean Murphy, depending on his timetable and when he returns, is A.J. Puck, who is another fun arm in that organization. So those are my two hot takes. A.J. Puck could get his way back onto a mound quickly. He could be thrown to Sean Murphy at some point. Or uh, Jesus Luzardo is, is already maybe the most entertaining pitcher in minor league baseball. And if he's not in a big league opening day roster – he could be the guy. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Um, what the reason why we pick Murphy and uh, Luzardo is because Murphy right now is the number four catching prospect in baseball according to MLB.com. Luzardo is, I believe, number one when it comes to left-handed pitchers. Um, the excitement is more from Luzardo's point of view. Obviously, uh, Luzardo has a chance to be, you know a number two starter maybe in the major leagues uh plus fastball good curveball really good changeup, and again like we were mentioning with Sixto sanchez plus control that makes the whole package play up uh he was coming into the last year we thought he was going to start out at class a he ends up starting out at class a advanced climbs all the way to triple a nashville uh so this year he'll probably start right back there at triple a las vegas Vegas is now an A's affiliate, um, which is kind of exciting as they move into their new stadium, as you'll hear Ben talk about later. Um, but, you know, he just has all these different weapons he can throw at guys. I know he struggled a little bit in his first taste of the PCL last year, uh, but I thought he could have pitched in the major leagues in September. Um, obviously, you want to hold him back a little bit. He threw 109 in third innings. He's somebody who has Tommy John on his profile. Um, but, you know, Luzardo just has so many weapons. And, and the fact that it, what makes this partnership so exciting to me is that Murphy is a what makes him a good prospect is his glove. He's supposed to be a really good receiver, a really, really good thrower uh, so he can control the running game. This isn't just, you know, if we were pairing him up like a, a, some of those other guys I brought up before uh, from the catching position, it might just be like, yeah, he throws to this guy and then that guy goes and hits very well. And that's an exciting partnership for that. Murphy can be a pretty good hitter, um, but that's not where his you know, value is going to come from. In many ways, he could end up being like the catching version of Matt Chapman in Oakland. Um, anybody who saw Matt Chapman play last year knows his glove is really, really special there at third base. Um, I think Murphy could be right there alongside him. Maybe not quite as good because Chapman was so elite and at an actual fielding position. Uh, but Murphy is going to do, do incredible things working with the pitching staff. Uh, teaming him up with Luzardo is only going to help those two. And I think if they both make the majors this year, which they are both poised to do if they start out at AAA, um, you know, that's a partnership that the A's would love to see continue and foster itself and, and it'll make both more comfortable. You know, when you're no longer just catching a major league pitcher who you have to remember how you caught him in the spring, or if you're a pitcher and you're throwing to a catcher and you're like, okay, like what is his pitch sequence going to be? Am I going to have to shake him off a bunch when you already have that established relationship? That's only going to help. So uh, Luzardo Murphy, I expect them to be there probably by July, both of them together in Oakland. Uh, and if Puck can come a long way uh, in his recovery as well and, and be right alongside them, that would be really, really good for the future of Oakland um, at a time when, you know, I, they surprised a lot of people last year too. And it, their projections aren't going to be as rosy going into 2019. But if they're going to match what they did last year, it's going to take these prospects coming up and performing as well as they can. Um, so that'll be an exciting look to see some of these guys come up together uh, to the Bay Area. 
And strike three this week. Uh, prospect projections continued. Sam's tool shed column rolling through all six divisions and wrapping things up with the National League West. Some interesting talent in the National League West. Uh, Sam rolls through the uh, one of the most competitive divisions in baseball in recent seasons. Who's uh, going to stand out this year? Yeah, so this one, uh, as I was starting to put together some of the tables using Steamer 600 numbers, I was thinking like, oh, you know, maybe I'll write about Alex Verdugo because the Dodgers outfield is a little more open now. Or, hey, Brendan Rodgers' uh, war projection is a little bit higher than I would have thought. Okay, well, that's interesting. And the Rockies infield, as you know, Tyler, could be a little bit in flux in 2019. Maybe that's what I'll lead with. Uh, And then it hit me and I got to San Diego and I was just like, oh, right. Oh, right. They have everybody. Yeah, they have everybody. Um, so that was the obvious kind of lead in. Uh, so I wrote a little bit about that for the site and that's, that's up now, but just to kind of go over that, uh, the way things are looking here for opening day, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. is obviously the, the top prospect in that system. He's number two overall tools across the board. People think he can stick at shortstop. Um, we've seen it, you know, last year at double A in San Antonio, we saw it this winter in the Dominican winter league, um, you know, really exciting stuff from him. His projection might not be as rosy as everybody was thinking. I kind of get that. And when I started to put this together, you know, his projection of 1.6 war and a 233, 293, 387 slash line, not exactly great. Uh, somebody you're hoping to be the future of the franchise. I understand that. That being said, Steamer still thinks he would be the best shortstop for San Diego right away, um, which tells you something about the way they've constructed the roster right now um, and tells you basically about his major league readiness. Um, so seeing that is kind of interesting, but it's not just him. Luis Arias got major league time at the end of last year. Um, maybe he holds down shortstop until Tatis is ready, and then he slides over to second base. They signed Ian Kinsler this offseason. Um, basically with that idea, he, Kinsler can play second, um, but maybe he moves over to third by the time Tatis is ready and Urias moves over to second. Um, that'll be interesting. Francisco Mejia, uh, they expect him to be the best catcher for the Padres over a full season, which is interesting because Austin Hedges is also in that system. Um, Austin Hedges, for a while there, everybody thought he would be the long-term solution for catcher. Uh, for the Padres really good defensive player has shown some offensive outbursts here and there but is not a consistent offensive performer especially in the way Mejia could be Uh, so to see Mejia ahead of him in terms of projection um, tells us something that maybe Mejia really should be going into camp as the as the odds on favorite to be the opening day catcher Um, so as much as we think of this Padre system as being especially young, especially when it comes to pitching on the position player side, a lot of these guys are ready right now. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I think Tatis is going to start the year at triple a, uh, not exactly worried about that. Um, especially last year when he was coming off injury that made him miss basically half the year. Uh, but you know, he's somebody who could force his way probably by the super two deadline. I kind of hope he's only there for a couple of weeks. Uh, what he was able to do at the end of last year with making adjustments and the way he was able to perform this year against you know advanced competition down there in his native Dominican Republic was really cool. I don't really think he needs that much seasoning. Padres might disagree. They might want to just see that sustained for a little bit longer. Um, but given this projection, given that he is the best shortstop in the system right now, I uh, would not be surprised if he pushes his way up there by late April, early May. Uh, and the, the steamer projections kind of back that up. One pitcher I do want to talk about, though, uh, and I, 
brought this up a little bit last week, at least in my writing, uh, when I was talking about the AL West, and, and I talked about how Josh James could be one of the best rookie pitchers over a full season next year, or this upcoming season, rather. Uh, but above him was actually Chris Paddock. And for anybody who reads the site regularly, you'll know Chris Paddock was our Milby starting pitcher of the year last year. Uh, incredible control, uh, really good strikeout rates, everything that Steamer's just going to love and Steamer thinks is really translatable to the next level. Uh, if he were to get a full season at the majors, which nobody is thinking he will, he, he finished the year double A. Um, but if he were to do that, uh, Steamer thinks he would be worth 3.9 war, which is not just a good major league starter. That's almost a great major league starter. They expect him to strike out 9.3 batters per nine innings. So more than one batter per inning, uh, putting up a 3.52 ERA and a 3.48 whip or a FIP over 200 innings. Those are really, really good numbers. I think a lot of that is kind of skewed a little bit because Paddock was coming off Tommy John surgery last year and the Padres limited him. So, you know, he wasn't seeing batters necessarily three times in the way you would expect expect him to in a major league lineup in 2019. Um, But, you know, somebody who's got a really good fastball, a really good changeup, uh, the breaking ball is really the only thing he's waiting on because that control is really good. Uh, if he can develop some sort of breaking ball, that's a bona fide major league starter. Steamer thinks he's already that right now and might be the best one on San Diego staff, period. Um, so, you know, when we're looking at 2019 for the Padres, I think we all agree it's going to continue to be a rebuilding year. But if Tatis, Mejia, Urias are all major league players by the end of May, by June, uh, if Paddock is up in that rotation as well, if some of these other guys, Logan Allen, uh, forces his way up there, maybe Cal Quantrill beats his projections because they weren't too great. They were just around one war for him. Um, it's possible that they push up this timeline by a year, and we're talking about the Padres being in maybe an 80-85 win team this year uh, if all these prospects hit like they have the potential to do this year, and the, the projections kind of back that up a little bit. Set three strikes for this week's episode number 195 of the show before the show. Blockbuster deal already in the books today and uh, probably a whole lot more, um, maybe not trades like that, but there's a lot to come. You get the feeling before, even before pitchers and catchers report coming up in the next week. Um, We will cover all of it for you as it pertains to prospects here on the official podcast of MILB.com. Coming up, we're going to talk some business stuff with Benjamin Hill, who joins the show next. A lot of big stuff this week around the business world of minor league baseball. Benjamin Hill joins us to discuss it all. Promo uh, schedules are out. We've got some ballpark news. We've got some team renaming news. Hello, Ben. Busy week this week. It is. And hello, Tyler. And hello, Sam Dykstra. Uh, sitting to my right, we are at a round table today. So this is a literal round table discussion. Wow. Yeah. And Sam forgot the mic. So he's like holding it up in my face. And um, I'm, I'm close. Yeah, I'm this cl- time around. Yeah, and I'm closer to Sam than I usually am, um, both emotionally you guys are like and backup singers. Yeah, if, if you can imagine what that whole like uh, scrum was to get Tom Brady at the end of the Super Bowl, that's it's basically like what we time. have in this conference room right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But we don't have any outside forces pushing us together. It's just. Okay. It's just ourselves. Yeah. It's just <laughs> you're just drawn to each other. Um, well, let's get started. Uh, the 
story that is up on MILB.com this week from Ben is a uh, batting around column, um, which has a look at ballpark improvements for the 2019 season. Now, we know that there are new ballparks that are opening. Um, Fayetteville, North Carolina will play host to the Fayetteville Woodpeckers for the first time, the Bowie's Creek Astros moving over there as was always the plan when that franchise uh basically in effect moved from the california league um and elsewhere around uh the minor league baseball world the uh sod poodles of amarillo texas they will likewise be opening a ballpark what else is going on yeah you know this is a new batting around column and i can't say this column you know provides any like whoa major news but i try to do one about uh, once a month just to keep everyone up to date and keep myself up to date uh on, on things that are going going around so um yeah we have these three new ballparks we always knew the one in vegas was going to be called las vegas ballpark which is kind of interesting because that's a naming rights deal with like the las vegas you know visiting visitors and convention authority or something like that uh so that's a strange one but um now we have two two more ballpark names uh, in Amarillo, it is Hodgetown, which when you think about ballpark names, Hodgetown is a anomalous name. And it's right. uh, it's named in honor of a local businessman and philanthropist and uh, someone who's been advocating, agitating to bring uh, minor league baseball back, a man named Jerry Hodge. Uh, so this ballpark is called Hodgetown. So, you know, you go to a game and like, hey, let's go to Hodgetown today. So uh so it's it's not hodgetown ballpark. no it's not right. hodgetown ballpark or hodgetown stadium or what have you it's just hodgetown i kind of like that I, I like those different spins on it and stuff like that so that, that's kind of cool yeah yeah and then uh fayetteville they just announced mm. this morning we're speaking here on thursday this morning uh they announced uh they're going to be playing in sagra stadium um and i know it's hard to get excited about explicit you know corporate naming rights names but it's it is the reality of the business uh but segra is a um one of the largest independent fiber bandwidth companies in the u.s and if you really pay attention to these things you might remember that just last month uh the columbia fireflies who play in spirit communications park uh changed their name to segra park and that's because segra is part of a is the result of some merger that involves spirit communications. And uh, I don't keep track of these things too too much in detail. But now, you know, when we were talking, when 2019 began, a more innocent, simpler time, we had no Segra ballparks in the minor leagues. Uh, now we have two, uh, one in South Carolina. We have Segra Park in, South, in Columbia, South Carolina, and now in the new ballpark in Fayetteville, Segra Stadium. So if you're into uh, independent uh, bandwidth, I guess this, <laughs> this is a good day for you. Um, and, and that column also, you know, goes over some uh, improvements to ballparks that we can expect in 2019. You know, Binghamton got a 5.1 million dollar improvement plan. Uh, Bowling Green uh, Hot Rods have a couple million dollars going into their park. Uh, same with Oklahoma City Dodgers, the uh, Chickasaw Bricktown ballpark. You know, so you got various things: new new playing services, new video boards, and uh, going back to Las Vegas. And uh, as you guys know, following the world of minor league baseball, whenever a video board is announced, it always seems like, oh, this is the biggest ever or it's the, the best resolution or the most pixels or whatever. And uh, there's always this kind of like my video board is bigger than yours thing going on all around the minors. But Las Vegas flat out said, bam, we now have the largest video board in minor league baseball, 31 feet high by 126 feet wide. Uh, so apparently the largest in all of minor league baseball and top 25 uh, in baseball in North America. So Vegas, I don't know what major league ballparks have smaller video boards, but apparently Vegas will have larger video boards than certain 
currently unnamed major, <laughs> major league ballparks. But check out Batting Around for a full roundup of all this stuff. There's a lot of uh, tidbits and notes and uh, bites and bits and whatever you want to call it. And beyond just like little bites that we're getting about stadium news, we got some bigger kind of wave this week in terms of promo news with a lot of teams kind of announcing uh, what's coming up for the 2019 season for them in the promo department. A lot of interesting ones. One of the ones that stands out to me is the main whoopie pies, the Portland Sea Dogs. That sets up a battle between them and Redding. They're actually playing Redding, right? Isn't that the deal? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Redding fight in Phil's in 2017 as part of uh, the, the craze that uh, most everyone, well, I'm sure a lot of the listeners to this podcast are already well aware than the temporary naming um, craze of a, a regional food item. Um, in 2017, Redding laying claim to being like the birthplace of the whoopie pie, which is like a moon pie kind of it's like a, what it's a marshmallow what what is a whoopie pie sam yeah. i mean <laughs> it's like it's, a marshmallow filling with like a chocolate bun right yeah, yeah essentially yeah. yeah it's like a a bigger oreo a bigger softer oreo there so you go. i always thought yeah that. that that's why you're a you would have put it that, that was a great great use of words um so redding did it in 2017 and i think this is the first time we've seen another team in a different region you know, adopt the same food identity. So Portland is like, oh, we're going to be the main whoopies uh, in a game in June this month. And they're actually playing Redding. And unfortunately, Redding is not also playing as the whoopies. It's not Dang. like whoopie versus whoopie. Whoopie. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then whoopie Goldberg could show up. And it, there's just so <laughs> many opportunities to. I'm yeah, really, yeah. Not really. That's bad. Well, no. If you think about it, there's so many famous people named Whoopi. They they would get a, they would get a lot of them. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, they're battling for Whoopi Pie supremacy, and and who among us hasn't dreamed of a battle for Whoopi Pie uh, supremacy? I sure have. So we'll see who uh, who wins. Who really can lay claim to the Whoopi Pie, Reading, Pennsylvania, or Maine? I hope the uh, the Red Sox and Phillies Double A players know what exactly is on the line here when they play in this random game this summer. I'm sure they all have June, June 21st. 21st. Yeah. Even guys who are maybe thinking about getting a call up, they're like, hey, can you do it on June 22nd? I got a battle for whoopee supremacy first. <laughs> you know, priorities here in my career. Um, but, you know, that was one that was announced today. Um, we got, you know, Montgomery announced their uh, promo schedule today and, um, you know, saying it's like the year of bacon. And then there weren't any bacon promos on the schedule, so I was confused, but the team got in touch and said, you know, there's a lot more to come to trust us. This will be the year of bacon uh, in, 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 in Montgomery. And they call it the Biscuit Zodiac. Is that a thing they've done before? No, and I don't actually know what that's a reference to. I should have asked them that too. I mean, the year of the bacon just means like, you know, the year Zodiac sign. It's the year of the pig, for example. I guess that's what they mean. It's in it, their weird team. There's the Chinese calendar. And I guess this is the, 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 biscuits, the biscuits calendar. It's the year of bacon. Awesome. How is Lehigh Valley going to feel about this? You know, I saw... A lot of people in their mentions trying to right, right, I, and uh, they they said something um, very magnanimous, you know, to the effect of okay. like, you know, hey, there's room for more bacon in minor league baseball. <laughs> we don't own bacon; we just embrace it, but we don't own it. We can't lay claim to being the only bacon team. So, um, yeah, more bacon in minor league baseball. Um, you know, there's teams whose promo schedules I haven't even looked at yet. That's on my to-do list today to, to enter them. I know Carolina came out. Uh, Akron just came out. Um, Hartford did theirs last night. Um, 
Yeah, and Sam and I are looking at my Twitter feed, which is a great source of information, it turns out. Um, this reporter, Benjamin Hill. Yeah, you, you should follow him. This dude's relentless. It's like, don't you write about anything else, dude? This is a little niche, but whatever. Um, two teams have unveiled Firefest promos, which you know are going to get a lot of attention, uh, referencing that debacle of a music festival. And, of course, it's back in the news uh, one year later with the dueling documentaries um, on, on Netflix and Hulu. Um, the Lexington Legends are doing a Firefest night on April 28th, and two days later the Columbia Fireflies are doing a Firefest night. So you know we're going to get you know, the cheese sandwiches at the concession stand, um, you know, claims to have celebrities showing up that won't show up you know maybe some tents on the concourse with waterlogged mattresses uh, <laughs> inside um i'm sure they'll be reaching out to the top influencers uh these are the kind of promos that maybe don't you know uh, result in a huge amount of uptick at the gate but they do result in a huge amount of uh, attention and press and just energy for the front office and uh, I am actually though curious to see what they do with it it can't just be a press release promo they're going to have to convert and do some fun things at the ballpark so late April that's that's one to pay attention to uh, Hartford somebody needs to do a, a Billy McFarlane punchable face contest look-alike contest a look-alike contest <laughs> that dude like if well although I don't know if anybody wants to admit they look like that dude yeah so maybe not Let's, I don't want to Especially shoot when you say he has a punchable face. Like, I wouldn't want to show up to the ballpark. The most punchable yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. And we don't advocate <laughs> violence. We, we advocate forgiveness, compassion, empathy, right, and right, redemption. Right, totally. So, how about a, um, a, a Billy McFarlane learning station and, and forgiveness? Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's a way better idea. And it can be in the form of a federal prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put yeah. him behind bars in the, in the unused bullpen, and uh, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of potential, and, and you can tell even just you know the way we're talking right now, I can virtually guarantee you that this is a fun one in these respective front offices to brainstorm. And I think it speaks to when people you know, work in minor league baseball, I think a lot of people like this, that you can say, hey, let's do this, and then actually do it and, and have fun with uh, something absurd and uh, you know pop culture relevant and what have you. Um, and then the Hartford Yard Goats announced their promo schedule yesterday, and they've got a you know Brendan, Mr. Rogers, bobblehead where he's dressed like mr rogers they have a truly uh kind of nightmare inducing goat jersey that's like screaming like out of the chest almost like like the goat was like inside the player like in aliens and like it's bursting out screaming yeah maybe that's a little dramatic but it's a pretty pretty strange my favorite detail about that is that to make it legal by minor league standards there has logo right yeah yeah. so they put like an ear tag (laughs) the smallest tiniest ear tag on this screaming goat that has the Hartford Yard Goats logo. And it, it stands out because it's yellow, so at least you know where it is. But they tried so hard, I bet. Like, how small can we get this? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I didn't think of that explicitly, but yeah. Uh, we should have a contest, or, or try to find, like, what the theme jersey has logo. the smallest, like, yeah, my logo that, you know, the powers that be will accept is still qualifying as a, as a logo. Maybe you could do microscopic, and you could just, you know, get, like, literally get a microscope and look underneath and say, see, the logo's there. All right, neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, but one, one more thing I did want to talk about with Hartford is in conjunction with the promo schedule, this is not a promo per se, but they became the first team in minor league baseball to outright ban peanuts at the ballpark um, out of uh, trying to accommodate people who have peanut allergies, which you know can be very severe. And it's not just if you eat a peanut by accident, it's you know 
they're airborne in the you know the the shells fly around. Um, you know they can be airborne in the stadium. They can cause severe reactions in uh, people who have uh, allergies. And uh, that's an interesting move because, you know, what outside of a hot dog, you know, peanuts are so just tied up into the culture and the experience of, of seeing a baseball game. And so I think, you know, the reaction, of course, in the early going, a lot of people being like, how can you not have peanuts at a baseball game? And I get that. But I'm on board with this move because is someone's enjoyment of peanuts like how many people need to enjoy peanuts to justify saying other people can essentially never come to a game because right. of their allergy? And it's an interesting debate. And I was saying this to Sam on the way up here. To me, it's analogous to the debate about netting. I mean, yeah, it, yeah the same thing. Like I want to go to if I'm going to my you know dream ballpark, I'll probably have some peanuts, and I certainly don't want to look through a net. But is my preference outweigh the fact that if there's not a net, someone could get hurt or even killed? If there are peanuts, someone could have a very severe reaction that, that, that is possibly up to and including death. And I think it's an interesting you know, debate to have, not just within the world of minor league baseball, but at what point does the enjoyment of the majority get outweighed by just how severely the minority is impacted? And uh, you know, it could get very philosophical, but it's it's uh, it's interesting uh, move by the yard goats. I support it. I think you can, you can get through a baseball game without peanuts, even though peanuts are so – you know, tied up in the in the culture of the game. Well, that's one of the sillier arguments too. Is like, what are they going to sing during the seventh inning stretch? It's like they'll still sing about it. It's just yeah. Pe- people don't have the lyrics and have fun with it. I mean, beer bats. Yeah, beer bats. Beer bats. Is what they there need to replace it with. They have beer bats at uh, yard goats games. That's all it needs to be. The whole song should be beer bats and shouldn't even have any other words. Everybody oh, just holds up their beer bats and just chants yeah. beer bats. Yeah. Beer bats. Tyler, do you have a it's a preliminary version of how this song would go? I'd love to hear it. I'm I'm workshopping some stuff. I don't know anything out as of yet. You know, I've been in the studio all week trying to get it nailed down. Uh, but no, I think the uh, the point about um, it being very similar to the netting debate is is spot on. And um, you know, it's one of those things that I think everybody is super fired up about right now, and will forget about by May, as we have seen in so many minor league baseball debates. But to me, and I was engaged in a conversation on Twitter today with a guy who who said, um, you know, there. Uh, 12% of people uh, in America are alcoholics and only 0.6% are allergic to peanuts. So if they banned alcohol at ballparks, that would be ridiculous. There would be an uproar. And I said, yeah, but like if you had a child who was allergic to peanuts and therefore could never go to a baseball game because of that, and then a team took a stand on something like this, wouldn't you feel good about the fact that that team was looking out for that kid? And it just seems like the i mean aside from the straw man of like banning alcohol and relating it to something like that i just think like for a team to be proactive about this i think is cool and not only that but to me and maybe this is an overgeneralization i feel like the people who are complaining about the yard goats banning peanuts at the ballpark would also be the first people to complain about how expensive peanuts are at the ballpark in the first place it's like if you're not going there and buying them what is this really changing your enjoyment of the game that much for I don't know. It yeah. just seems everybody's fired up about it now. I don't think it's going to be much of an issue once we get into into April and May. And beside the beside the point, uh, but also true, sunflower seeds are the superior ballpark snack anyway. I would I would agree with that as well. To be honest, okay. I mean as much as. Uh take that yeah as well take that peanut lovers um one other one notable from this week the Durham Bulls announced a jersey that is fantastic yeah the uh wait Ben the Durham lollygaggers. I, I don't have the date up on this, 
Um, but Durham, I believe, of I just did. <laughs> yeah, I believe it was uh, two days ago. Durham, yeah, Lollygagger Night. There we go. June fourteenth. June fourteenth. Fourteenth. And that is a reference to, of course, Bull Durham. Uh, the Durham Bulls have obviously done a lot of promotions through the years related to Bull Durham. I mean, it made their reputation like a movie has made the reputation of no other team. And it's a huge part of their, uh, you know, their, their brand. And uh, so now they're uh, going even further and uh, calling themselves the Lollygaggers, uh, which is, of course, a reference to a, uh, you know, famous lines of dialogue in the movie. Um here it is, right in front of me. But I can't really reenact it. I mean, you guys have seen Bull Durham, right? You guys, you lollygog around, lollygog, you lollygag around the infield. Anyway, skip the word lollygaggers is used quite a bit. That makes you, Larry, lollygaggers, lollygaggers. There you go. That Thank was my you. favorite thing. Was in there uh, on the Hit Bull Win blog, the official blog of the Durham Bulls. They uh, embedded a tweet from actor Robert Wool, who played Larry in the movie. And uh, he quote t- tweeted uh, a Chris Creamer tweet about those jerseys and just said, oh, my God, <laughs> which is pretty great. So he's fired up for it. Yeah. So that's a good one. June 14th uh, got a lot of attention already. We'll continue to get attention. And, uh, you know, as this conversation we're having shows, this is the time of year. We've been alluding to it over the last, you know, six weeks yeah. or so, uh, five weeks, basically since 2019 started. Things have been trickling in, but now they are coming in at a steady rate. And I would expect that to continue throughout the rest of February. Uh, these kind of announcements, things are starting to actually ramp up and it's starting to really feel like the season is coming instead of just sort of willing it to happen. Or a lot of times in my case, willing it not to happen because I feel overwhelmed about it. But, uh, you know, you know how it goes. Um, one final thing I'd like to bring up that I, I think we wanted to touch on is, uh, Yesterday, the Canapolis Intimidators announced that they, uh, in conjunction with moving into a new ballpark in 2020, will be rebranding. So they will no longer be the Intimidators. That name is a reference to um, the nickname of Dale Earnhardt Sr., the Intimidator, who I believe had an ownership share in the team when the team first, when the Intimidators first started over 20 years ago. Um, so they will be rebranding. And uh, as is often the case, especially on social media, the initial reaction was uh, was not good. Uh, to this well, movie. and what I think was interesting about this initial reaction was it was this crossover reaction. I think Intimidators fans were, were to a degree upset about it, but we got tagged in a tweet from the NBC Sports site NASCAR Talk in which they had an article about it, and then it brought this wave of people who were NASCAR fans who were very upset with the Canapolis Intimidators for this. But I think that the Intimidators' rationale for it is is well thought out there uh i think it was their assistant agm was quoted uh or their assistant gm their agm was quoted in the story and said like there are millions of people out there who are dale earnhardt fans but that's his legacy that's not necessarily our legacy like we we appreciate those people we appreciate that history but those people are fans of his and fans of his career and what he did in his life um and for us we have a different history than that and that i think is is understandable and justified um but that's going to be a difficult one to to get through for them yeah it definitely will and uh you know sam who has just been phenomenal at pulling up the right things at the right times you know there was a tweet from dale earnhardt jr yesterday you know who quote tweeted the canapolers tweet that the canapolers the canapolis intimidators tweet announcing that they were changing their name dale jr quote tweets that and says i remember how prad how i can't talk anymore dale jr quote tweets the Intimidators, and says, I remember how proud Dad was of this. What a shame it has to end. And 
you know, that's his opinion. That's fine. But that's some heavy. Got 4,000. Yeah. Yeah. That, but that's that's a he- and like, if you're not involved in the ownership. Which they're not, which I kind of right, feel like. It doesn't, it doesn't really seem fair that the franchise forever can only have that identity. And that's a difficult situation because it's, A, not often that you have teams that are named after one person to begin with. B, especially not even in the sport that they play. But that that's a tough situation. And uh, you see it from both sides. It's it's difficult, especially if you're – I know uh, Dale Earnhardt's daughter also tweeted something similar um, about how it was disappointing. But it's – you know, if you're not really involved with the team – how long does the team have to be of that identity and only of that identity? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I understand their emotional connection to it, and I, I'm not arguing with their opinions, but it right. doesn't really seem fair from a business perspective to to kind of not hold hold them hostage, but to kind of to use that reputation of Dale Earnhardt Sr. to act like it's sacro- sacrosanct and you can't do anything with it. Right. It's a different sport. He's no long, The family's no longer involved in the ownership. They're going to a new downtown ballpark, obviously want – a new identity with that. Um, and you know, to be honest, you know, NASCAR fans and people who are so mad, look at, look at the attendance of the intimidators in recent years. It's not that great. If, if you really were supporting, you know, right. this NASCAR themed team, then you'd be, you'd be there. Then you'd be there. And it's easy to be online, mad online, but it's a lot harder to actually put your money where your mouth is and do things and, and, and live your life in a way that actually supports the things you're mad about. I will give Dale Jr. credit for this. Uh, earlier today, he tweeted out that if a change is indeed imminent, maybe the team could go with Ironheads, which is what was another uh, nickname for Dale Earnhardt. I don't think that addresses any of the issues you talked about. I think that continues to tie it in with Senior. I get that. Or they could go with the Cannons if they'd like to honor some history of the town itself, and then he hashtagged it Cannon Mills. That would be kind of cool. I mean, so it sounds like they're willing to participate, at least acknowledging what the issue is here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't change the name, if they go like the, the way of the Hillcats, maybe a new look, something like that. I mean, how, remember on this podcast, we had this debate about what Lynchburg could do. They could t- tie it into something local with the faith-based you know, area around there. What? That's what I always remember. The love apples. Isn't that what one of Lynchburg's uh, something about tomatoes? It was. They had yeah. they had a uh, very grandiose list of uh, yeah. potential yeah. names. Yes, they did. Uh, lamb chops and love apples. Lamb chops, chops is the one yeah. I remember. Um, several other ones, and then but they kept Hillcats as a choice, and then they kept it. Um, I've learned never to be totally surprised by what happens with these rebrandings, yeah. whether it's hey we're going to keep the original name or hey. We've been debating about these five finalists for months, but we just went with something else entirely. You never know where it's going to go, so we'll see how this plays out. We have you know, the better part of a year <laughs> to see it play out. And I think that's kind of the good thing here is that they've announced it this far out. It's not like, hey, we have a three-month lead-up to this. It's you know, it, We've probably already ch- chosen the team, but hey, you might as well have your, your say. This is a year. This is a real chance for fans to have their say on this. And, um, you know, it'll be a rollout this year. You know, if you want to support the Intimidators, like Ben said, you want them to keep that name. OK, you have an entire season to show it and not just show it online. Show it with you know, yeah. hat purchases. Show it by showing up to the ballpark in its, in its last season or ways to do this beyond just 140, 280 characters at a time. Well, and I think one of the things that we've talked about from time to time with these rebrands, there's a guy in uh, that Dale Jr. retweeted who said, um, you know, Dale Sr. is probably the only reason why anybody outside of this area has even heard of that team. 
But the Canapolis Intimidators, or the Canapolis whatever they end up beings, are not trying to cater to people outside that region. You're not, when you're a minor league baseball team, you're not building a national brand for the most part. You're trying to get people into your ballpark from your local region, buying your merchandise. And yes, to, especially on the merchandise side, you want to sell some of that nationally the way to do that nowadays in minor league baseball is to rebrand um but you're trying to build a local identity so i don't think that argument really holds water um but whatever side you are on this yeah i mean you can you can make yourself known especially if you're in that area and support that team um i will say that i'm gonna have to get one of those hats because that's been an underratedly uh strong logo in the uh the time that i've worked in minor league baseball i've always liked the canapolis logo um ben you just named that one of your favorites i did on uh when we had the uh staff round up a favorite hats uh for national hat day you know what a, what a wonderful holiday um mm-hmm. i chose the canapolis as number one so even though i'm 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 totally on board and understand why they want to change their name uh i love the angry k logo because it's a little bizarre and strange and there's just nothing quite like it if you haven't looked at the canapolis canapolis intimidators logo recently do yourself a favor and google it because it's pretty cool it, it lives in a, a world of its own and i don't really buy hats hardly at all i just sort of accumulate them randomly and don't wear them too much uh, but I will want a K hat for my, you know, for my collection, such as it is. That is a great cap. And I will be sad to see it go. That was my first reaction when I saw the team was changing its name. I'll be sad to see that K go. That said, if I was running this team, I would say it's time to see that K go. So I understand. Uh, right now, if you just type in K-A-N-N-A into google uh the third thing that comes up is canapolis intimidators name change so i guess the algorithms are seeing that it is making uh some news um elsewhere uh around i guess that's uh that's it for what we had listed for this week um but what else is coming up on the site slash blog yeah i mean i think a lot of it will be related to what we're talking about more details on some of those things uh probably build some features and blog posts around a lot of these uh, interesting promotions coming up um so in general it's just kind of like you know stay tuned dude yeah i was gonna say with the gauntlet thrown down by a lot of these promos this week i mean it's gonna be tough to top the, the durham lollygaggers but like if this is where we're really starting promo season in earnest yeah, I think the next two, three, four weeks is going to be really fun. My prediction is we'll have plenty to talk about as we did this week. And uh, I hope people enjoy hearing us talk about it and, uh, you know, have opinions of their own. And, you know, if you want to share them, hopefully you know where to find us. Um, right now we're in the Chelsea market, but don't find us there. Um, online. Oh, yeah. Email. Twitter. Oh, the Internet. Yes. Do it. Uh, he's Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter himself at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Batting Around is up on the site right now. And uh, as we get deeper and deeper into promo schedule season, we'll be talking more and more about it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, Sam. Sitting to my right, you held the mic uh, with authority. <laughs> Another Bull Durham line. Now it's my <laughs> Sam and I were just uh, discussing a, a new minor league signee. This is another thing that we'll have a lot of going toward pitchers and catchers reporting. Curtis Granderson signed a minor league contract with an invite to Major League Spring Training this week. Hunter Pence just signed a minor league contract. Hunter Pence signing a deal with the Texas Rangers. Uh, so some of those guys who are out there uh, as of right now may uh curtis granderson was with the marlins by the way i don't think i acknowledge that um those deals are 
gonna be on the way they might not be super exciting but if you're thinking about the the free agent stuff um those deals are starting to clock their way in as well um so it's it's happening it's still an interesting off season yeah we say yeah i don't it's think happening i don't think curtis granderson should have gotten a minor league deal um, yeah especially from the miami marlins who you know are just trying to fill outfield spots at this point. Um, I like the signing. I think, you know, Granderson bringing him in uh, could certainly help Miami. I just wish they would have given him a, a guaranteed major league contract that yeah. it might turn into that. Yeah. Um, but one thing to remember with these minor league deals, especially for you minor league fans, and if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you're one of them, uh, you know, you might think like, oh, Curtis Granderson signs a minor league deal with Miami. There's a decent chance he'll be in New Orleans. Probably not. Probably not just not. because of he's probably going to make the majors, but if a lot of these minor league deals, they come with invites to spring training, and then they come with opt-outs often. Um, yeah. So if the player doesn't think they're going to make the major league roster, they can just opt out, not take that assignment to AAA, uh, try to find another deal elsewhere. Um, maybe they go to another minor league team, but it's just a better major league situation, something like that. Um, but don't don't get too excited if you hear a minor league deal for somebody who's obviously a major league player. Uh, don't be excited that they'll make your minor league city. Maybe they will. I don't want to rule it out. Possible. Yeah, it, it's a much smaller percentage than just the transaction alone would seem. Yeah. So um, just some stuff to keep in mind as we get closer and closer to the start of the major league and minor league seasons. How about James Loney, by the way? Did you see that? Former Dodger James Loney signed a, uh, a deal with an independent team as a pitcher. Yeah. He's like well, 36 two-way player i think i think he's still oh is he gonna do oh interesting yeah okay okay yeah so and i know there matt davidson had also has also signed with the rangers um today i know there have been rumors about him i think i brought this up on the podcast once there have been rumors about him maybe going two ways i don't know if the rangers are really a team that would explore that maybe they will who knows we'll see how they handle him in camp um but you know the shohei otani brendan mckay they're there's some influence there and just giving guys these looks and seeing what could happen. Um, James Loney, independent ball, not coming to a minor league stadium anytime soon. But, you know, if he proves himself in indie ball, uh, capable of doing both, you know, who knows? We'll see. Uh, We're still very much in the early days of this movement, Um, but it is kind of exciting to see baseball change in this way, kind of organically. Uh, in a week that we've had so many discussions outside about potential rule changes and the DH coming to the NL and all that. Um, the idea of the, the game changing organically in this ways and for the better and with the more exciting is really cool. And I really like to see that. It's pretty cool stuff. So you can follow all of the uh, breaking news and more at MILB.com. Uh, you can find us on social media at MILB. Sam is at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. We'll talk to you next week.